Welcome to the Privacy Podcast, brought to you by Buck Alter, a law firm up and down the West Coast with nine offices in California, Oregon, Arizona, and Washington. I'm Daniel Zarchi. I'm joined today by Boyce Hameen, an associate in our LA office, and Carl Gerner, an associate in our Seattle office. Uh, thank you guys for coming back. You guys are the superstars on this show, and I know it's been a little while since we've gotten together. You know, the, the rigors of litigation and everything that's been going on have kept me away, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, Weiss, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, no, I just, I realized that the three of us, it's like, you know, it's like getting the band back together. <laughs> yeah, and Carl, Carl, how's everything up in uh, the the Pacific Northwest? The great Pacific Northwest is uh, still dry and experiencing lovely weather. Uh, a little bit cool as, as do Daniel, my tomatoes, uh, they aren't quite ripe yet. Yeah, well, at least uh, at least everything isn't on fire where you are now. Weiss, I know you're probably dealing with that quite a bit too. But uh, yeah, uh, these lightning complexes are becoming quite a thing. You know, I look out and I feel like I'm in the Pacific Northwest with how overcast it is, and turns out it's just smoke. But anyway, let's talk about some fun things because the, pri- the privacy world has not stopped while we've been away. Uh, the biggest event that we're going to be talking about are the finalization of the Attorney General's regulations for the California Consumer Privacy Act that came out. Not much to talk about there because we mostly knew where the AG was going, but still worth uh, still worth addressing and some last things to kind of look at as we get used to the regs. Second, we're going to be talking about the Facebook LDU, that's limited data use tool that came out, what it is supposed to do, what it really does, and uh, what business owners need to think about in their use of this popular tool and Facebook's business tools that they offer. So jumping into our first topic, the attorney general's regulations have been finalized. We've been looking at them, um, looking at red lines, looking at some differences. Now, we were talking about this yesterday. There weren't too many things that were surprising, but still worth touching on what has been changed. So Carl, first, let's talk about one change. This is under section 305A5. The original change had been to elaborate on information that was collected for one purpose that might be used for another purpose. Now, the Attorney General regulation actually included a pretty lengthy regulation that would have changed a business's duties in that instance that was deleted or withdrawn. Um, Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. The Attorney General, um, in its prior draft, so not not the final version, but in, in the um, in the prior draft had, had added a section, um, or a provision that would require businesses to receive explicit consent, uh, from consumers for, in order to use their information in ways that they had not previously described in their privacy policy. So if a company, um, had described in their privacy policy that we collect information um, in order to deliver services to you, um, if they if they then added um, some other functionality or or decided to start selling information, which is a different beast, but if they decided to do something else with the information, um, they would need to get the consumer's affirmative consent in order to use it in a different way. Um, not just tell them how they're going to use it, but affirmatively give them uh, notice and, and receive consent. And by withdrawing this, um, it's, it, it has um, 
questionable impact um, because the, the the real the effect of this is that while it doesn't require a company to have uh, to get affirmative consent in terms of the CCPA, um, companies would still have to be aware or, or careful um, that they're not misrepresenting their their business practices or engaging in deceptive trade practices when doing so. Um, and and part of that is just doing the smart and reasonable thing of informing consumers uh, when there are changes to your policies and um, and making sure that you you do get consent for um, new or surprising uses, um, even if the this specific portion of the CCPA regulations don't require it. So it's it's taking it out of the realm of a statutory violation or at least a CCPA violation and moving it kind of more toward business and professions code, um, you know, UCL, things like that. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is how we might see that uh, in a difference in enforcement. I mean, if, if this were a few years from now and the administrative agency existed instead of everything coming from the attorney general's office, then that might change as to whether a violation under this could be an administrative fine or could be the basis for an administrative fine. We're not really there. And there's no particular reason why the attorney general could, what would be changed in their enforcement ability just because they'd have to bring it under the UCL or, or some other business and professions code instead of the CCPA. So yeah, I see what you mean that they still can't do these actions, but it's interesting that they deliberately removed it from, from the code. So well, I, I guess maybe part of the reason I think Carl was kind of indicating this too, it's it, most likely it's because the fact that it requires what's explicit consent, the idea that it's now requ requiring businesses to potentially do things that are sort of exceed the scope of the CCPA itself, or maybe adding on additional obligations that the CCPA didn't actually do. But, you know, to Carl's point, does that permit a company to use people's data in ways, in different ways than they originally intended or the way that they conveyed it to them? No, probably not. That's probably still a deceptive trade practice. It still exposes them to, to potential liability. There's still ways to, um, to really show that 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 is still something that companies should not be doing. It's just, I guess, when it comes to this specific section, maybe it's just because, and the statement of reasons that the, that the attorney general released, I don't believe gave a very explicit reason as to why they removed it, but that's just, that explicit consent is likely the reason why. Yeah, in the in the comments um, that were submitted in response to the various drafts, I mean, there was there was substantial pushback against the concept introducing the concept of explicit consent um, because exactly like I said, the, the CCPA is primarily a disclosure based regulation. Right, and to that point, I mean, was it Section Five still obligates companies that if they were to start collecting different types of personal information that wasn't disclosed at the notice of collection, they still have to update and provide a new notice of collection. So there's still certain obligations that they still have to hit when it comes to, you know, if they're, if they decide midstream that they were to do different things or collect different things. Yeah. And, you know, in this day and age, we are 
bombarded by emails from websites we visited once that say the privacy notices have changed or our policies have changed and if you'd like to view them here they are and i assume most people like myself just ignore those emails but now if they had to you know obtain affirmative consent for every single change even minor ones kind of in a cya fashion then that would put you know a pretty heavy burden on the businesses um, that that are doing this and as you uh, as you were mentioning in the final statement of reasons, it originally said that allowing consumers to the opportunity to consent to this further use is consistent with the CCPA's goal of fairness, choice, and control. Um, but obviously, they decided that it wasn't necessary, and that there might be some sort of other way to to emphasize this. So, um, so anyway, that that's one key omission that's been changed. Um, another one we were talking about, and this one is still a little bit up for debate as to how we interpret this, um, Section 306B2 originally said, or originally prior to this change, that a business that substantially interacts with the consumers offline shall also provide notice to the consumer by an offline method that facilitates consumer awareness of their right to opt out. Such methods include, but are not limited to, printing the notice on paper forms that collect personal information, providing the consumer with a paper version of the notice, and posting signage directing consumers to where the notice can be found online. So something we were talking about before we got on this was kind of trying to understand what that section originally even said, originally even meant before they removed it. Now, the, the way, the fact that they used the word and, uh, including but not limited to printing, providing paper notice, and posting signage to where it can be found online, Carl, you were saying that that might imply a requirement that these offline companies set up a website exclusively or specifically to hold the company's privacy notice, which seems counter to what they were originally saying. And the way that that section was amended now just says a business that does not operate a website shall establish document and comply with another method to inform consumers of their right to opt out. So that tells me that if a company doesn't really operate online, you know, you have plenty of restaurants, things like that. Traditionally, they're not online. If they hand their notice, if they post their notice physically, then that's good enough. Carl, did you have thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I just, it, when I first read the the proposed uh, amendment, um, I, I was concerned that now brick and more only businesses would need to host uh, a notice online um, in order to avoid running afoul of an ambiguous insertion. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that, that that was removed. Right, but I'm also wondering, just because it seems like there are still other obligations for companies that primarily work offline to make, uh, to make sign postage for, or, or have signage at their brick and mortar place for privacy policies, or at least when it comes to notices of collection. So like there's still obligations and I, I guess the reason why I'm bringing this up is like for companies that operate on, on a primarily brick and mortar basis, like don't think that this is a way that you can kind of get out of certain CCPA obligations. There's still stuff that you are required to do that are outlined in different sections of the CCPA. Uh, yeah, that that's right. Um, I mean, you know, we have, we've worked with a number of clients um, to put together notices for things that like at their cash register in stores, um, you, you know, the regulations, even though some 
some businesses um, don't, they're not just brick and mortar. Um, the regulations still do require businesses to take into account the context in which they typically interact with consumers. Um, so in those cases, just like if a business were only brick and mortar, um, you would still want to have notice available in some form, either at the point of sale or in store, um, however, however you typically interact with customers. And uh, the, the last section that I want to talk about in these final regs is if you go all the way down to section 317, which is labeled as 999317, which is labeled as training and record keeping, there is a requirement that companies, quote, establish, document, and comply with the training policy to ensure that all individuals responsible for handling consumer requests made under the CP CCPA or the business's compliance with the CCPA are informed of all the requirements in those regulations and the CCPA. All right, so establish a training program um, or training policy. Now, the text of this section was not changed, but it was changed from 999-317-H1, this is fun for the people listening at home, to 999-317-G3. Now, the effect of that is that it is now under the requirement of a business that knows or reasonably should know, alone in combination, buys, receives, uh, sells, shares, the personal information of 10 million or more consumers in a calendar year. So this sort of training policy no longer applies in general, but now applies only to companies that interact, let's say, with 10 million or more consumers in a given year. Now that reduces the burden quite a bit, but uh, Carl, you were saying before that there are still parts of the CCPA that kind of require knowledge and understanding of the CCPA, but that may come short of, but still kind of pursue the same goal of this sort of required training policy. Yeah, actually. So over the course of, uh, I guess, between, uh, you know, the statute um, and as these regulations have evolved, the statute requires that um, people people handling requests um, receive training on the CCPA. And it, it wasn't particularly clear uh, what that training should be, what level is reasonable. Uh, you know, it didn't elaborate, but it did put this in the in the realm of the attorney general's regulations. Um, and I think it makes sense the way that the regulations have broken it down, where uh, under um, section subsection 317, um, 317A, smaller businesses, businesses that don't meet the, the um, 10 million or more consumers, uh, those, those businesses, they still have to inform people uh, who are handling consumer inquiries about the CCPA and 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 rights there, consumer rights there under. Um, but the more formal requirement for a training um, or training program is is pushed to businesses who meet that threshold. Um, and there's still not you know super substantive guidance on how that training should look or what the content needs to be, but. Given given the size of the the organization, they should they should not skimp on that um, and should put together training. Um, again, something that that we've done for for our clients is put together training materials for larger businesses that both informs 
the people within the company of the requirements of the law and how to actually work through consumer requests when they receive them. Um, that's the, be the best way to, to help someone understand the law is to help them work through how it applies to their business. Great. And second, overall, we were going to talk today about the Facebook limited data use tool. Now, this is a big rollout that happened in early July. Um, now, Facebook is a, a strong player in the business tools sense, let's just put it that way. And many companies use tools like the Facebook Pixel to kind of glean information about the people visiting their website. And that obviously brings about a number of CCPA concerns given what ends up happening to that data, whether it goes into Facebook's personal use, whether Facebook uses it, whether Facebook shares it with others. Now, kind of to address those concerns or seemingly to address them, Facebook rolled out its LDU, Limited Data Use Program. Now, Carl, you have been doing a lot of research into what exactly the LDU is, what it means kind of from a technical backend perspective, and kind of how it may or may not deliver on the promise that we thought, or at least rather that there are still some concerns that business owners need to have in mind. Now, uh, turning it over to you. Yeah, so disclaimer, you know, I, I'm not a web designer. I, I do not program in my spare time. Um, and you, you could fool me from, from the conversations you and I have had about this. I appreciate that, Weiss. I appreciate that. Yeah, that uh, PhD hanging on your wall behind you uh, says otherwise. Do not have a PhD. Um, but the, the point, the, the takeaway should be for a business owner that while Facebook provides a tool, limited data use tool, that is relevant possibly to their CCPA compliance, it still might not be the best way for them to go about complying or ensuring that they comply with, with both the CCPA and um, their, their own privacy policies or, or just their customers' expectations. So what the, what the Facebook LDU tool does is it allows a business to basically alter the information that is sent from, um, from their website that uses business tools. So you know you have a, the business has a website and they place uh, Facebook's pixel on it or um, their, their business tools. Um, and that helps them get reporting on their website. It might help them uh, inform the performance of their Facebook marketing campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. What the LDU tool does is it allows businesses to indicate, hey, for California consumers, we don't want, we don't want this, we don't want to sell that information as, um, as defined by the CCPA. So you're going to set a value when you transmit this data to tell us to, um, to, to turn off your whatever makes it a sale. Don't do that uh, if, if you receive this information. So just to back up, let's talk a little bit about kind of why this is important um, for those who aren't, don't, you know, live, eat, breathe, sleep, the CCPA. And it relates to the difference between a service provider and a third party under the CCPA. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but if you have a company that is using a vendor like Facebook to process the data that it's receiving, to process data that it gets from consumers, then the company wants the vendor to be a service provider 
that means that the original company is the only connection to the consumer. Um, the service provider does its work, but doesn't keep or use or take for in its own benefit any of the data. All they do is process it, send it back to the underlying company, and then the underlying company uses it however they want. But if it's a sale, if they sell it to the vendor and that company then uses it again for its own benefit, they're a third party and the vendor now has independent obligations under the CCPA. Is that, is that about right, uh, Weiss? Well, yeah, there's that and there's the implication that, and now correct me if I'm wrong, the, uh, if the, the consumer were to opt out, click the like an opt out button with your company that that wouldn't apply if the information being processed is to a service provider it's it, it's an exception to the opt out uh, process whereas if if it's a third party then that um you know presuming that there's no other exception then that would they would have to be obligated to to that would be this that would be a sale that they would be opting out of right and and also along with that, all of the user request functions that are created by the CCPA only apply to the underlying company and save the service provider from being required to accept those requests. But if it's a third party, then that layer of protection doesn't exist. And now the third party is also vulnerable, let's say, to the user requests. So if you're a vendor, then it's very important to the vendor that you remain in this service provider sphere and status and not kind of accidentally or not accidentally kind of become a third party because of everything else that it brings under the law. So Carl, correct us if any of that is wrong, but um, that's kind of the context for why it's important to know whether Facebook, which is all it's doing is offering business tools. It's important to know whether Facebook is acting as a service provider or a third party and whether they're doing it correctly under the CCPA. Yeah, that that's right. Um, painting, you know, I, I, I always find it kind of helpful to, because there's lots of details in the CCPA to just kind of step back and talk in broad strokes. And the broad strokes uh, kind of scenario here is that the point is if you, if you start transferring information or selling information to third parties, so you're, get, you're transferring it to some other entity um, that has the ability to use that information for its own purposes, um, there's a possibility that it, that's going to be considered a sale. And that comes with its own obligations. You have to let people say, hey, I don't want you to do that with my information. And you have to make some additional disclosures about who you're doing that with. So it's relevant to the business to know whether or not their transfers to Facebook or whoever um, is a sale and whether that entity is a service provider or a third party under the CCPA. So where LDU comes in or the LDU tool comes in is that Facebook has designed this tool to that is calculated to prevent transfers of data from the, the business or the business's website to Facebook uh, to prevent that transfer from being considered a sale under the law. And that, that, as you know, suggested by, by our discussion, that would, help the, that would help the business by allowing them to not have to deal with creating some opt-out process or opt-out mechanism. They wouldn't have to 
give a consumer um, a special button or anything that says opt out of the sale of my personal information because their transfer wouldn't be a sale. And where businesses should look a little more carefully at this is implementing the LDU tool as just provided by Facebook without some additional work, programming work specifically, uh, would potentially handicap their reporting and their ability to use Facebook's tools for California consumers. So it will just affect all consumers in California across the board. And that's not really a, a great proposition for, for most, it, most people that I know that use Facebook business tools. You know, California is a large market. Um, just shutting off that reporting is, isn't great. The other problem or potential problem is that the way the tool seems to work is data is still transferred from the website to Facebook. Facebook says it will limit its processing of that information so that it's not a sale um, and, and in plenty of options conditions. But from, from, the, from a consumer perspective, um, when a consumer opts out of the sale of their personal information, they might not expect you to transfer that information still. Uh, it's not necessarily a meaningful distinction to the consumer or more importantly to the regulator um, whether, whether or not you've carved out that one portion of sale. You know, legally there's a distinction there, but um, the business still has to be mindful of whether, whether continuing to send data after, after indicating that a consumer is from California and, and shouldn't be engaged in a sale is, is deceptive or otherwise misleading. And that's because when the business still sends data to Facebook, Facebook may not keep it, but they use it in some way that presumably benefits Facebook in a way that a visitor to your website may not have expected to actually happen. Right. And it, it's, you know, if, if you're going, if as a business, you are going to use it's, you know, it's not just Facebook, right? If you're, if you're going to use tools that give you analytics reporting or anything else, um, it makes sense for you. If you have to offer consumers some method of opting out or, or you have to opt them out yourself, it makes sense to do it in a targeted way. So you don't want to cut off your reporting on all of California. Um, it, it might make sense to, to engage a web developer and build your own opt-out mechanism that just prevents that code from loading on your website um, when a consumer indicates an opt-out. You know, it places, you put a button on your website, the consumer clicks it, it places a cookie, that cookie tells your website, um, don't load the code that that sends information to Facebook or Google or whoever it may be. Um, you know, all of these service providers, or lots of them, and inevitably all of them, at least large ones in California, will have some form of LDU, or, you know, in Google's case, they have a restricted data processing tool. Um, but all of them function slightly different. So it, it's more to figure out for the business. And it's also not helpful for your customers to understand what's going on. Um, it might make more sense for the business that has a large online 
um, presence to do this in-house and to just be able to take responsibility for the information that's being transferred because ultimately that's that's what the CCPA is about. Just to go back to what you were saying before, if you're a company that has a sizable California market or presence, if all you want to do is collect data on who goes to your website and you know understand analytics about who went, you know, what pages they clicked on, how long they stayed. I mean, even geographic data, stuff like that. That's fine. It's just whether it then gets kind of stored or kept or sold by your vendor, that's the problem. And so the LDU kind of overly strips out the functionality in a way that if it were done kind of more surgically, would there's a way to do it that's more, that's still, still or maybe even more compliant with the CCPA and would still result in kind of having more business tools or more insight into who's looking at your stuff that's still perfectly within the ambit of the CCPA. That or if you are a small California company that you all you need are the you know the information regarding California residents because that's my target. That's my target. So to that point that you know Carl was making, it may be more beneficial for you to to invest in that kind of web developer to assist you with that versus just thinking that I can turn this switch on and potentially all my problems will be done. Um, and I guess the one thing, or that's a thought to have as to maybe that, maybe that won't be the case for you. I also want to take a step back and just remind people in case they don't know uh, that this function originally, I think in July was automatically uh logged in um but then it had a what we call a sunset provision which means like that it expires and that that had happened in july 31st so after that july 31st date it went back to you know the the um it not being switched on and so if you you know don't act right now if you're a company either way whether it's switching it on or, or consulting with a web developer then your use of Facebook market is something that you should be looking into and, and start that process because you may be, uh, you know, you may be in for some, some problems later on. So for those who are kind of less technically sound or having kind of a hard time conceptualizing what this is that Carl is talking about, just by way of explanation, yesterday when we were going through this, Carl, you took us on on a journey and we're not going to name any website names here, but we went to a website that um, services people all around the country. And um, uh, at the bottom of their page, they have a privacy policy. You click on it and there's something that says California specific or California privacy rules or something to that effect. And it says, we do not sell your data. Um, but then you log into the inspector, you kind of look behind the code and you can see which cookies have loaded. And one of them is Facebook pixel. So Carl, your point was there, that may not line up with expectations. Yeah. My, my, my point there is um, just for, for the business, the, the business, um, somebody, um, my point there is that the business should do what, what someone a term someone used uh, the other day to me was the business should have a, a, a tire kick test. The business should pass the tire kick test from the regulator's perspective. And if if that is how 
the business's website appears, if it says we do not sell information, but it loads this, it loads any tool that is possibly considered to be a sale, whether because that's its typical functionality or it's its popular functionality, or it, you know, it isn't necessarily a sale, but it could be a sale and it's a matter for, for debate, whatever. But if, if you're going to have those two things existing on your website, you should at least add to your privacy policy some statement for the regulator that says, we do use this tool, but we've configured it in a way that is compliant or something, because that's just helping you avoid the problem from the beginning. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be the person that the associate at the attorney general's office goes to the website and, and looks at this and says, oh, well, there's probably an issue here. Right. Well, given how many people use these tools and how many people may think that they're compliant in a way that maybe they're not, uh, I think that this is really good information and really good advice. So thanks, Carl. And thank you all for listening to this episode. It's nice to be back. Nice to, to kind of be back in the privacy world after being neck deep in litigation. Um, I'm Daniel Zarchi. I'm an associate in our San Francisco office. Uh, once again, I'm joined today by Weiss Hamid, an associate in our Los Angeles office, and Carl Gerner, PhD, in our Seattle office. <laughs> um, Carl Gerner does not have a PhD. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll be back hopefully in two weeks. Uh, we'll, we're going to try to keep up that schedule, although we have trials, we have litigation, we have other, uh, you know, statewide wildfires to deal with. So we'll do our best. And um, thank you again for listening. Bye.